This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. Today, I have Daya Davis with me. Daya is a, prof- a former professional boxer, a career a career in which he went 25-4 and four and won the NABF Super Middleweight Championship. He now owns Boca Boxing District in Florida and is the boxing coach with American Top Team, home to some of the best MMA fighters in the world. He's also the son of 1976 Olympic boxing gold medalist Howard Davis Jr. Daya, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I know you're a busy man. I appreciate it a lot, and I'm excited to get into it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. So where I always like to get started is, uh, you know, for yourself, you grew up in obviously a pretty, pretty big fight family, like your father being an Olympic gold medalist. I know your uncle and your grandfather were also fighters. Uh, Can you talk just about, you know, what your relationship with boxing was as a kid and just sort of how that helped evolve into where you're at today? Well, believe it or not, uh, I had no relationship in boxing as a kid. I had zero interest. My thing was basketball. Um, I played basketball from, well, I started with Little League softball. Uh, then I played basketball, and I, I really had a, a passion and love and desire for basketball there. So from the age of like 12 to about 17, I mean, you could not tell me I wasn't going to the NBA. Uh, once I got into college, I had to fend for myself. I had to work. And uh, my, my hoop dreams basically went out the window at that point because I knew I had, I had to work, I had to provide. Um, you know, I was renting a, an apartment somewhere and I wanted to go to I wanted to go to school I also didn't want to participate on the basketball team but like I said I had to work so um my whole dreams went out the window pretty much so at that point I just had to figure out what it is that I wanted to do um at some point during school I was like man this isn't for me uh I had like a dead-end job I was working as a assistant manager and eventually a manager position at a tuxedo store and I was like handling proms and weddings and stuff like that. And I just had an epiphany one day, man. I watched a fight between Lennox Lewis and Vitaly Klitschko. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, man, I, I think I want to fight. So I reached out to my dad the next day and I, I called him up. I said, dad, I, I want a box. And he said, box what? Oranges and grapes? I said, no, man, I, I think I want I think I can fight. You know, I think I can do this. And at the time I was weighing 228 pounds. So, you know, I was like one Twinkie away from being fat. Uh, you know, he told me that I needed to lose weight and if I was really serious about it, then, you know, show me. So I said, all right, you know, what I need to do. He told me to start running and change my diet. And in four months time, you know, I was running every day and in four months time, I lost about 45 pounds. So at that point, he knew I was pretty serious about what it is that I set myself out to do. Uh, he invited me down to Florida where he was living and, uh, gave me a two week trial, said, I've got two weeks to show him that I'm capable of fighting. And if that's the case, then I stay. If not, then I'm taking my ass right back home to New York. So I've been in Florida ever since. That was 2004. Wow. So it's it's always funny, I find, you know, the way when uh, parents are, you know, involved in a certain sport, how that can kind of tip kids one way or the other. Like you'll see some stories of, you know, the kids following right in the parents' footsteps. And then, yeah, these, you know, stories like this, I always find interesting how it was kind of a late decision for you to get into it. 
Yeah, I was definitely a late bloomer, man. At, like I said, at the, at the age of 23 is when I reached out to him saying that I wanted to box. Um, man, I remember watching the story on Dateline. It, my dad was actually getting ready for his last fight in 1996. And there was a story on Dateline as he was preparing for his fight. And they were talking about just some of the, uh, you know, some of the trauma that some of the fighters received after their career. You know, guys having trouble with their speech, guys having trouble with their memory. And I said, man, this stuff is crazy. Who would ever want to do this sport? They should ban this sport. This is crazy. And then eight years later, I was reaching out to him like, you know, dad, I want to box. I think I could do this. Yeah. So for your career, like, uh, can you talk me through a little bit, you know, the journey of first from getting into it at 23 to, you know, how you sort of progressed to through the career, like, you know, so a little bit of the ups and downs of, you know, being a professional boxer. Sure. So, uh, you know, being that I started late, I was 23. It was also an Olympic year, 2004. Um, you know, my goals would have been the same. I wanted to achieve some of the same goals my dad did, which was going to the Olympics and winning a gold medal. Um, but I just didn't have that time on my side. You know, I would have been 27 trying to enter into the Olympics, um, hoping to win gold and then eventually turn a pro from there. So I just would have been too late in the game, a little too long in the tooth. So... Because I was doing so well with some of the guys that I was sparring with, all top-level guys who have either been world champion or stellar amateurs, um, we decided to completely bypass the amateur and uh, just go pro. So within eight months' time of training, man, I, we just we just went pro. You know, I, I scheduled my first bout in August of 2004, and uh, I won by second-round knockout. Wow. So, I mean, completely bypassing the amateur, like it's definitely not your, uh, not your typical route into the pro, into the pro fighting world, eh? For sure. For sure. So definitely got a fast track, but, um, like I said, being that I was sparring with, you know, some high level guys, uh, man, one of my first sparring partners was a guy named Lou DeVal. Uh, nickname is Honey Boy. He was, he fought Roy Jones. He was the first guy to drop Roy Jones. Oh, wow. Uh, I sparred with him. I did very well with him. I actually pissed him off quite quite a bit. He actually, I beat him up a little bit, and he got so mad. He said, man, when I get in shape, I'm going to fuck you up. Part of, part, of, part of my language, but I'm like, all good. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm good. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And, uh, you know, he never, he never got to me. He never got to me. So, you know, being that I was doing well with these guys, you know, former light heavyweight champion of the world, and, man, I sparred with Zap Judah. I sparred with all of his brothers. Uh, man, within my first year, I was sparring with Bernard Hopkins. I worked with, man, you name it, the who's who. And, uh, you know, from 154 all the way to 175-pound champions. And because I was doing so well with those guys, my dad was just like, man, you know, forget, forget the amateurs. You know, I've, I've got supreme belief in you, and you obviously have supreme, supreme belief in yourself. Let's do it. I said, man, say no more. Man, of course. And I mean, I think one big thing, right, is like uh, everybody has a different path. Like people always kind of get stuck in, you know, it has to be done a certain way. Oh, I can only go pro after a certain amount of amateur fights. But I think this is just a prime example that everyone's going to find a different road to success. And so it's really cool hearing, uh, hearing the way it all came about for you. Absolutely. I mean, everyone's learning curve is different as well. Um, I think because I knew I was getting such a late start in the game that I really dived into it 100%. So not only did I uh, really pay attention in the gym, like 
you know, everything that we did, I went home and practiced, but I also studied a lot of film, man, a lot of film. You know, I would watch, and I would only watch great fighters. So I would watch my dad. I would watch Sugar Ray Leonard, Evander Holyfield, uh, Pernell Whitaker, Salvador Sanchez. I just watched nothing but great fighters. James Tony, Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins. Man, the list goes on and on. So at that point, I was able not only to learn what, you know, pick up stuff in the gym, but also come back and continuously learn uh, at home as well. So I was doing my homework. Yeah, and I think that's one of the keys to success in any sport out there, right? It's just, you know, going the extra mile like you were saying you did there. Can we talk through a little bit, you know, like what would your average week while you were a pro, you know, the kind of time commitment, the kind of training, the study, everything like that. Can you go through a little bit, break that down for me, just like what goes into that week preparing for a fight? Uh, well, typically you get up pretty early. Um, you know, my, my journey was I'd get up about 5.30, I'd go for my three-mile run, and, uh, man, I, I'd run so hard that I'd be pretty, <laughs> I'd be pretty shot afterwards, you know. Like, I ran like, man, like, you name it. The cops, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, all those guys would after me, right? That's, you know, I always want to envision, like, I'm, I'm keeping it like a fight. So, um, you know, I ran hard. Yeah, I would do three miles in 18 minutes, 17 minutes. My fastest time was 15 minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, so I was, I was a runner, man. Um, yeah, I would come home, rest, shower, well, shower rest, uh, have some breakfast, and then get ready to go to the gym about 1 o'clock. Uh, we'd be in the gym for about two hours. Uh, again, shower up, come home, dive right into uh, film study, and I would do that six days a week. And then through that time, you know, obviously that's a wild commitment. Like you're doing a lot of stuff that a lot of people out there just aren't willing to do through that time as you're, you know, do, going through these, going through these long, hard days, you talk through, is there ever any times where you sort of woke up and thought, man, what am I doing here? Like, this is, this is hard. I'm sore. I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like those sort of low points of the career, that, that kind of stuff happened for you too much? Um, not much. I mean, I really did enjoy uh, the art. Um, you know, I love the sport of boxing. I think what really, what really hurt more than anything was the politics involved. You know, like um, trying to get signed with a promoter, um, hoping a promoter can keep you busy, um, you know, making sure that they have the right traje trajectory for your career, uh, making sure these guys are not just trying to throw you in. Um, you know, you always wanted to make sure that you're, you're protected to a degree. Um, when you have promoters, and especially in boxing, there's several different promoters, you know, like these guys have to come in cahoots with together in order to make a fight work. And sometimes, you know, the politics involved just don't allow it to happen. So that was more or less the frustrating part uh, in boxing, by my, by my standards anyway. Yeah, fair enough. And like when those politics are kind of getting involved and maybe, you know, things aren't going necessarily the way you want to, what would sort of help you kind of push through those moments and help you, you know, keep striving? Because I know that is something people struggle with sometimes when they feel like things aren't going their way. The first instinct is to kind of just leave it behind. You know, what was the motivating factor to keep pushing even in those kind of situations? You know, like when you believe in yourself and you, you, you believe in your craft and you know that you, you know, if you're like, if you, you, when you know you're willing to die for your sport, those are the type of things that keep you involved and keep pushing you to, to make sure that 
you know, you're going to stay in it, that you're going to give, uh, you know, the extra time in the gym, go the extra mile, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense for sure. When you know that you've got it in you, then even when something difficult presents itself, you know that you got to keep going, you got to keep pushing and find the next step. Yeah, for sure. You just want to keep the faith, man. You know, well, at some point, you know, every fight is going to suffer through some type of adversity. And I think that was, that was mine, you know, like, man, when I actually did get signed with the promoter, I got signed to Lou DeBella out of New York. And uh, my first fight with him, I bombed. You know, my first fight was a nationally televised fight. Uh, I was like a deer in headlights, man. The cameras were out and I just, I just shelled up, you know, like I didn't perform well. Um, so I, I had fought very hard to get signed with a promoter. Then I actually get signed with a promoter and then I lose my first fight. Um, but I still had supreme belief in myself. Um, maybe he didn't so much. So my next fight was with uh, another guy who had just upset a, a prospect. Um, but I actually fought under that fighter's promotion. So basically my, my promoter almost released me at that point. Uh, but I went out there and I performed well. I got a draw, even though I should have won that fight. But again, I fought this guy in his hometown under his promotional banner. I uh, got a draw in which I won eight rounds out of 10. Surprising, I walk out of there with a draw. I felt like I was lucky enough to walk out of there with that. They could have just completely stole it from me, but I uh, walked out of there with a draw. Um, but I showed a glimmer to my promoter. I showed a glimmer of hope, so uh, I fought again. I fought another one of his guys. Um, we both were under the same promotional banner. A guy named Marcus Johnson. This guy was undefeated. He was 20-0 and 0 with 15 knockouts. And, uh, again, I fought him in his hometown. But I went out there and crushed him. Like, I, I fought – we fought 10 rounds. I beat him unanimous decision and even dropped him in the ninth round. And uh, at that point, you know, I was kind of coming out of my shell a little bit. So, you know, my promoter had some faith in me. He was like, oh, man, you know, we got something here. So he's immediately – on the, on the phone, I got literally, right after the fight, we're in a dressing room. He's on the phone with the champion at that time, um, which was Lucian Boutet. And he called him up, and he's like, hey, man, we got a guy, you know, we're ready to fight you for the title. Meanwhile, the other the guy that I just, that I just fought, um, had he had beaten me, was getting ready to fight for the world title. So, funny enough, I had sparred with Boutet, like, less than a year ago. And I gave him fits. I gave him fits in the gym. So they said, no, you know, David still has to prove himself. Let him get another fight or two before we take that route. They knew they didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't want the fight. I said, all right. So we had uh, another couple fights. And uh, eventually I got my shot. Yeah. And that was actually the next thing I was going to ask you about, you know, obviously starting into a pro career is going to be, you know, you've got some eyes on you, especially coming in the way you did with, uh, you know, even like the influence from your dad having been who he was in the sport. But now when you're walking out for a title shot, like how do you deal with the pressure there of knowing that, you know, you've got that many more eyes on you. There's that much more pressure, you know, you're fighting for a championship for the first time, you know, what's going through your head at that point while you're walking out there? Uh, nerves, jitters for sure. Um, but you know, those, those type of things leave you when you leave the dressing room, you know, like you're, you're already there at that point. You've, you've done all the hard work to get to that point. Um, so, you know, you're not so much like all those nerves kind of leave you. Like I said, once you're in a dressing room, you know, you're there, it's, it's all over. You know, all the nervousness 
has been led up to the fight. You know, like the times where you can't sleep, you have those doubts in your mind, you immediately got to shake those. Um, it's just all kind of feelings, man. It's just, it's very strange, very strange. You'll, you'll have the feelings of, of doubt. You'll have the feelings of doubt to whereas you've been defeated. But like I said, you have to immediately shake those feelings and just say, ah, no, I got this. You know, I, I know what to do. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm more than prepared for this fight. Uh, I'm training hard. I'm, I'm doing more than my opponent is. You know, conversations with yourself. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so after winning that championship, uh, like the NABF title, you know, how did that sort of affect your career moving forward after that? Uh, let's see. So after I won the NABF, that NABF was a regional title. So it actually, it propelled me into the major sanctioning body. So uh, the NABF is affiliated with the WBC. Okay. So by winning the NABF title, which is a regional title, it got me rated in a WBC number three in the world. So I fought, I fought after, after fighting Alfonso Lopez for the NABF, I fought a journeyman, but a dangerous journeyman. I fought a guy named Darnell Boone, which it, to me didn't make any sense. I'm like, okay, I'm ready by the, w, by the WBC number three now. Now we're kind of like approaching the world title. Why am I fighting a, you know, a journeyman who can possibly upset me? Why am I fighting this guy now? Like, this is somebody who I should have fought early on in my career as a litmus test to see if I have the goods. Um, but I said, you know what, I'll take the fight. I have to prove my worth, I'll take the fight. Um, fought Donald Boone, beat him unanimous decision. And then we went on to fight another guy before fighting for the world title named uh, Saki Albika. This fight I lost. Um, I went into the fight injured. I had tendonitis in my left arm, very bad. Not making any excuses, but uh, the fight was off the table. Then it was on, off, on, off, on. Then it finally was on within like three weeks. Uh, so again, we took the fight. I ended up losing by TKO in the very last round. I just went out there and just said, you know, I'm losing a fight. I'm behind on the scorecard. I hit him with like a hard overhand right. And I kind of sat there and admired my work. And he came, he came back with a counter shot, clipped me with an uppercut. You know, I retreated and, they got, you know, I wasn't throwing any punches. The guy was throwing punches and the referee jumped in and stopped the fight. So from, like, from that experience there, obviously, you know, it's never, never a fun experience to lose on a big stage. But from that experience, like, uh, was, how did you move forward from that in your career? Um, that was the time for me to reflect. Actually, I took off a year. I took off a year and, uh, you know, I had, like I said, I had to have some conversations with myself to see if this is what I want. Do I still want this? Uh, am I, am I as hungry as I was when I first started? And, you know, after a year of reflection, I figured out like, Hey man, this is, this is for me. I still have this in me. There's no reason to retire. I just had a bad night. You know, let's, let's go out there and shake this off and do it all over again. Yeah, man. And I mean, I think those self-reflection times are, you know, crucial for any athlete out there. Like, because like you said, if it's not something that you still really want, then, uh, you know, that's when it's probably time to move on, right? Sure. 100%. So from your career in boxing overall, if you were able to take, you know, the, every, all the info you know now, and you were able to talk to either yourself before you turn pro or any young kid right now that's hoping to, you know, turn pro and go off and win all those championships and fight for those titles, what would the biggest piece of advice you have for that kid be? Uh, be patient. 
Uh, nothing's going to come easy. Um, be prepared for some ups as well as downs. Probably more downs than ups. Um, and when you get to the ups, stay humble. Work hard. Work hard. Put your time in, in the gym. You know, it's very important. Yeah, I mean, I think all really important pieces. I think you nailed it. But uh, I want to talk to you, too, just about transitioning into a coaching role because now I know you own the Boca Boxing District in Florida and you're also working with American Top Team. Can you tell me, like, what were you able to take from your career boxing into coaching to help you see the success you've, you've seen there? Well, believe it or not, I was actually coaching even while I was fighting. Okay. Um, you know, my dad was the coach at American Top Team originally. And when he stepped away, he started his own promotional company called Fight Time here in South Florida. And uh, he asked me, he says, hey, man, would you be interested in taking over the, the, the coaching gig? And I'm like, I said, dad, I mean, yeah, I just beat one of the top prospects in the super middleweight division. I'm like, I'm not going to have time for that now. He's like, yeah, but, you know, it's to be good as supplemental income while, uh, while you're not fighting. And it'll help keep you sharp. I said, you'll be working with fighters. You'll be working with several different styles. You'll get all these different looks. He says, you never know. It may help. It may help you in your career. And I thought about it. And I said, you know what? He's got a point. All right. Let me give it a shot. So being able to work with, um, man, I think one of the first guys that I was working with was uh, Gleason Tebow, who was a southpaw. You know, holding pads for him now gave me a southpaw look. So I was able to understand the mindset of a southpaw boxer, what he's looking for, um, you know, ways I'm coaching him. I know he's being coached somewhat the same style from his coach. So it just, it just kind of reiterated to me what to look for working with different styles. And not everyone fought, fought the same. You know, some guys had, uh, you know, a little bit of a stylistic way about them, about a way about them. Some guys were aggressive. So, you know, it just gave me, different ways and different looks into the minds of, of different styles of other fighters. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really good, really good thing too. You were able to take, you know, another job as, and like have it find the way that it could actually help you in your career too. So right. yeah. And then, so after you finished boxing with uh, you're like, I'm guessing you were full time with American top team and your gym now too. Yes. So I was full-time with American Top Team. I, I, my gym only opened up about a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, but I was full-time with American Top Team for about eight or nine years. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was working with the pros, you know, all levels. And I also taught, I also taught um, you know, your everyday, your everyday Joe. You know, your nine-to-fiver, the guys that come in and um, look to do a boxing class. And, uh, yeah, I taught that as well. I taught that like four or five days a week. Yeah. And I mean, I think you learn stuff even just from those, those basic, those basic classes and stuff too, right? Because you're going to, if you can, you can learn. (laughs) Yeah. You're just constantly going back into, you know, the fundamentals, you know, you're just constantly, constantly reminding yourself of what you may have forgot or what you may not even practice, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's something that a lot of athletes can pretty easily overlook as you get higher and higher level, you know, you're learning new skills, you're practicing these new, more complex things, and you might overlook about those easy, basic stuff that, you know, help get you where you are now. 100%. Yeah. 
And um, what I really want to talk to you about too. So right now with your gym and American top team, like what's the, what does the balance look like for you day to day? Uh, so day to day. Well, I've obviously, I've cut my time at American top team um, quite a bit. Obviously I'm just focusing on the pros now. Yeah. Um, no longer teaching a night class and actually they're close. They're closer to the remainder of the year. Um, only because they want to keep their fighters safe. Yeah. Um, so day to day, I'd say Monday, maybe like three to four days a week. I'm working with the pros. Um, the balance is sometimes I'm there. Sometimes they come over to my place. Um, but my, I have like, I have a lot of days at top team Monday and Wednesday are my days at top team. My block of time is usually between 10 and 12. Um, you know, some guys are working, doing some other drills or, another practice. So if they want to get in some extra time, they'll come over to my place. Okay. Yeah. And I know you work with, you know, multiple ex UFC world champions and, uh, you know, just a lot of really, really high level, high, high level athletes. And like I was saying before we started up here, one of the biggest things I want to get into in this show is, you know, behind the scenes, beyond just being good at a sport, what does it really take to, you know, reach the top levels and stay there? And one of the prime examples of that would be Dustin Poirier, a guy that I know you work with really closely. He's been in the UFC for as long as, as long as I can remember. And he's been a very high ranked guy for a long time too. Yeah. He's been affiliated with Zufa for, I think 10 years, 10 years or so. Yeah. Which is, I mean, just incredible. But uh, what is it that guys like him or, you know, these other high level play, high level athletes you work with, what is it that they bring to the table that you think allows them to separate themselves and, you know, be at the top level like they are? Well, Dustin's an incredible athlete. Um, You know, he's got great mental fortitude. He's very hungry. And his desire to achieve his goal of winning the championship is like no other. I mean, that's the mindset is very important in this game. You know, Um, we can easily be shaken, but at the end of the day, you have to overcome that. Like I said, have those conversations with yourself to, figure out if this is for you and and he's man he's he's that guy you know he's had those conversations with himself and this is what he wants you know he wants to be the best yeah and for a guy like that you know obviously he's been through he's been through a lot within his career but uh is do you feel like that's something he's just kind of always had or like what what is it that he does that allows him to you know continue to have those conversations with himself and no matter what he goes through be able to continue to say no I'm going to keep pushing forward and no this is still for me you know what when I when it comes to Dustin um for his losses they've all been his own mistakes you know like uh not that a guy was better than him it's just that you know he just may have better had a mental lapse in there and done something wrong and all it takes is a split second. Of course. Um, with, the, with the Khabib fight. Uh, he was definitely in the fight. First round. Hurt him. Um, got into some moments to where he was on the ground. Listening to his corner, which he should be. Definitely 100%. But, like, in a position where he got choked, he lifted his head up to, to look and see what was going on. To look what we were saying. Um, you know, we always say, you know, use your ears and not your eyes. You know, so if, if you hear us chiming, chiming something out, you know, definitely let us have your frequency, you know, tune into what, what it is that we're saying, but try to do it without looking up. 
um, you know, the Michael Johnson fight, you know, got a little bit too overly aggressive. Uh, one, two, you throw a one, two, and then finished up with a, with a, a lead uppercut and just wasn't close enough to Michael Johnson and got caught, you know, got hit with a, with a hard right hook, went down and out. Um, so, you know, just like stuff like that, man, just like little mental lapses that we know that we can't have, especially not at this level. You know, you're in there with the elite. So mistakes have to be very minimal. Yeah. And so when you're, you know, coming off of a loss with, with a fighter, like, obviously you're going to review the fight, see where things went wrong, but you know, what does that sort of next few months of training look like? You know, or is there a lot of focus just specifically on where that mistake happened or like, you know, how are you guys kind of coming off, coming out the other side and, you know, kind of refreshing and regenerating the, uh, like for the next fight? Again, we'll just go back to the basics. Um, we'll get away from the, uh, the complex stuff and just the constant, remi constant reminders of what got you to this stage and what got you to this level was basics and then building off the basics. So, you know, sometimes you got a guy who's advanced, man. You just got to bring him back. Slow him down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really smart, really smart way to go, especially when you get to those elite levels, like we said, right? You know, you kind of can forget about those little fundamentals, those little basic things that you've been doing for so long. And if you get back and fo refocus on those, you're going to come back out the other side an entirely different, entirely different athlete. Right, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I tell Dustin all the time, it's offense, defense, defense, offense. Like, you just, you can't have... You know, you can't be focused on one thing only. You know, you can't you can't look with the intention to go out there and, and completely demolish a guy. You know, that guy's got two healthy hands and two healthy feet as well. So Yeah, yeah. And uh, so with him and, you know, these other these other athletes that you're at the top level, you know, you're saying it's mentality a lot of the time of just, you know, always being able to kinda build yourself up and make sure that, you know, this is what you want and this is what you're willing to work for. Um do you feel like that's something that with younger athletes coming up that coaches can be fostering or do you feel like that's more something that, you know, as an athlete, you either have it or you don't have it? Uh, man, it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, it always helps if you have a coach who's, you know, been through the ups and downs and, um, you know, has also the same type of mental fortitude that the fighter has. And if he can share those experiences with you, to where sometimes he can take you there without you necessarily having to be there. Um, it always helps. Yeah. And so us as, you know, people as coaches now, like what do you think we can be doing with those younger athletes coming up to, you know, start enforcing that with them as they get into the sport, whether it's, you know, fighting or elsewhere, because it's obviously a mentality that's going to help any athlete, no matter what the sport what do you think we can be doing to make sure we're enforcing that and we're, you know, building that mindset into athletes as they come up? Um, definitely sharing, sharing um, your own personal experiences, um, letting the fighter know that it's not always going to be, uh, man, stars and colorful rainbows. You know, there will be some rainy days. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to pick yourself up and figure out who you are, you know, check your own identity. And, you know, if this is for you, then, then you got to push towards it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just, you know, as we're starting to wrap up from your own experiences coaching now, what would you say is the, like the best moment in your time working at American Top Team, like your, your best memory coaching so far? 
you know, like my best memory would probably be, you know, like when you coach an athlete and he goes out there and performs and, and, and does the job and does some of the things that you've been working on in the gym, that's, that's probably, that's it right there. I think the best moment had to be for me was, I actually, I think it's, I'm going to say it's the Gaethje fight. Dustin yeah. and Gaethje. Yeah. Because he was hurt pretty bad in that fight. Gaethje was killing him with the leg kicks. Um, he was never out of the fight, but I was definitely hurting him with the leg kicks. And, you know, we knew we needed something big. And, you know, he came out and stopped him. I mean, it was, I think it was the fourth round. That's where he stopped him. That was probably one of the most satisfying victories for me with Dustin. Even beyond, beyond the title fight with uh, the interim title fight with Max, I think the um, most satisfying victory for me would have to be the Gaethje fight. Yeah, man, I can imagine. I remember watching that one. That was uh, that was that was a fun one to watch, to say the least. <laughs> Definitely a bond runner, man. <laughs> seems like he's got. He seems like he's got some good ones. Some good ones in that way, where he can just really, you know, even mid fight, if you know he's getting getting hit a couple times, be able to just kind of bite down and go. And he's just got that that killer mentality that I think all fighters need to have, right? One hundred percent. There's there's no doubt that it's there. Sometimes it needs to be tamed. Um, you know, we try to, we, I, I try to get, or we, we as a team, you know, me, Mike Brown, uh, Pitbull, um, we all try to get him to fart, fight, uh, smart, you know, using his head first and not that macho mentality, like, oh man, mano y mano, man versus man, like, let's be smart first, you know, let's break our guy down before we ultimately look to get him out of there course and with a guy like that you know now that you guys have been working together for as long as you have and you know you've sort of been able to watch him rise the ranks of the UFC like what have you sort of seen and you know same same question goes for other fighters that you've worked with and other fighters that you've been with for a long time but what have you sort of seen in the evolution from you know the first few years to now as the fighters are getting you know more well known and uh you know there's a little bit more a little bit more fame and media and stuff going along with their careers. What is sort of evolution have you seen in these guys as the, as you've watched them develop? Man, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, I watch him, you know, you know, so we're, being that we're talking about this and I, I, I say, I, you know, I watched him grow from, uh, no, I wouldn't say being selfish, but, you know, definitely focus being more career oriented, and watch him develop into a family man. Um, you know, he's got his own charity now. He's giving back to people. He's helping out a lot of people with his charity. Um, you know, I basically watched him grow from boy to man. You know, it's just like, it's unbelievable, you know, how, how giving he is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing, like, one of the reasons he's one of my favorites out there is, you know, all the stuff he does outside of just fighting. Like, he's, he's fun to watch, but also seeing the Good Fight Foundation and all these things all these things he's got going on, it really, it's amazing to see the kind of use that an athlete like him will make out of the platform that they're given. Absolutely. You know, great father, great, great husband. Um, you know, just, just a giver, you know, he's selfless. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember watching an interview of his a little while back, I think just after the Dan Hooker fight and something he said was, after he fought Conor McGregor, he had a really big, I can't remember the exact wording now, but a big shift in mentality. And that was sort of a, a game changer, a career changer for him. 
Was there anything you noticed after that fight? Because I know, obviously, McGregor has a reputation of being able to kind of get in guys' heads, and he's a, yeah. he's a special kind of animal to deal with. Is there anything yeah. you noticed after that one that's like a change in him? Oh, definitely. Um, man, leading up to that fight, yeah, def- definitely Connor was in his head. He, you know, we all, we all know it. He knows it. Connor was living in his head rent-free, man. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you got to push all that stuff out, out the window. It, it means absolutely nothing. You know, all that talk means nothing. So until they close that, that cage door on you and you're locked in there with that guy, all that talk means absolutely nothing. And for anybody who's maybe dealing with a similar situation, you know, whether it's an opponent or whatever else, just like that sort of frustration, something that, something that, you know, on the surface means nothing, but is getting to them. Do you have any thoughts, anything they can do to kind of actually push that stuff out? Cause obviously it can be easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I'd like to say guys need to stay within their own, their own heads, stay within their own mental space, focus on what you need to do to come out victorious and nothing else matters. Yeah. And then uh, just one more for you is like, as you know, the career progresses and, you know, these guys are becoming more well-known and they're dealing with, you know, more and more outside of the sport, whether it is, you know, balancing the charity and then like the media and everything that comes with being a top level guy in MMA or boxing or whatever else it might be. Do you have any advice on how to, you know, again, remain focused on the actual career as it's progressing and sort of be able to push that stuff aside and maybe deal better with like the fame and fortune that comes with pro sports? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, fighting is definitely your priority. Um, I I think it's because of fighting, you know, that you'll be able to have that sort of platform to help, you know, give to other people. Um, You know, but if if you don't focus on your craft and um, your, your number one focus, which is the sport, uh, you know, you'll just have like a, a bunch of distractions. Yeah. And so just, yeah, just to finish, finish off here, if you were able to take anything again from the coaching that you have right now, if there was any vision you have for like your coaching future, the athletes you work with or anybody else, like, you know, what are you hoping is to come in the next, in the next few years? Man, you know what? I mean, I'm happy where I'm at. I just would, I just, you know, I like, I love, working with the top athletes. Uh, I love watching their growth, um, their success. And uh, I just want to have a continued, a continued run. Awesome, man. I love it. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming on the show today. There's been a lot of really good stuff here. I always really like, really enjoy doing these interviews and, you know, hearing different perspectives on, you know, what it's like to compete at top levels, what it's like to coach others that are at the top levels. And I'm really hoping we can all, we can all keep spreading this, spreading this message. So thanks so much for coming on and helping out with that. Absolutely, man. Good luck. I wish you a lot of luck in this, uh, in this journey, man. It should be fun. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, if someone's looking to get in contact with you, you know, whether it's about training and they're down in Florida or whether it's just about, you know, something, questions they might have from this interview or anything else they've seen of yours, what would be the best way them to do that uh well they can find me on instagram um the instagram for my gym is boca boxing district um you can email me boca boxing district at gmail uh you can find me on my website boca boxing district.com my phone number is there and several ways to to find me awesome i love it 
Well, thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate it a lot. You got it, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.